Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Open your Bibles to Acts 23. Acts 23. Today's sermon is entitled Courage. Courage through captivity. If you're new to Manoa Community Church, we've been preaching verse by verse through the book of Acts for well over a year now. We come to chapter 23 where Paul is held captive. And if you're new to the book of Acts, Paul is now going to be largely imprisoned in captivity for the rest of the book of Acts. He was in Jerusalem. A riot was about to form. All of a sudden, the Roman officials rescue him and bring him into captivity. But from this point forward, we saw him stand before the court of the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish high court. And now he's been brought back into the Roman prison. And the Lord Jesus Christ, where we left things off, said to take courage, verse 11. Do you see that? The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. He's in Jerusalem right now in prison. And one day, about five years, he's going for the next five years. He'll spend two more years in this area. We'll look at that today. And then he's going to be shipwrecked on his way to Rome and then be under house arrest in Rome for the next two years. And that is where the book of Acts ends. Courage, courage through captivity, take courage. So I want to read just the beginning of this section, pray for us, and drop into what does it mean? What does it mean to have courage, to take courage when our lives are held captive? So we saw, let's back up to verse 10. I'll reread verse 11 and then verse 12 and pray for us. Look at chapter 23, verse 10, and then we'll preach to the end of the chapter. Verse 10. And when the dissension became violent, this is where Paul stood up in the Sanhedrin and all of a sudden they want to tear him apart because he says, I'm with the Pharisees and the Sadducees are having a heart attack. So when the dissension became violent, the tribune, that's the Roman tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him back into the barracks. Verse 11, the following night, the Lord said to him and stood by him, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Verse 12. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Courage through captivity. Let's pray. Well, Father, as we open your word right now, we pray, Spirit of God, that you would fill our hearts, that you would speak to us through your word, that, God, that these words would leap off the pages of our Bible into our souls and transform us. And the very courage that you spoke into Paul's life, you would now speak it through your living and active word into each one of our hearts. Wherever we're tempted to be afraid, wherever we're feeling in bondage, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would infuse us with courage and power from on high, and that you would set our souls free. Meet with us through your word. Even save the lost, if there are any here that don't know you, through your word today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are many heroes of our nation around the year of 1776. My wife and I went to see uh, the movie, or the movie, the, the live theater, Hamilton, before everything shut down. 
You see Alexander Hamilton, who led into this era of liberation, of freedom in 1776. George Washington, the commander who became the first American president. Well, in the year 1776, there were also some unknown heroes in American history and unknown heroes of church history. And one of the individuals I want to introduce to you today in light of Black History Month is a dear hero of the faith named John Jack Gloucester. I had never heard of John Jack Gloucester. He was born Jack Gloucester, and he was born in Tennessee. As an African, he was enslaved. And this young man in Tennessee came to Christ at an early age, probably through the influence of his mother, though we don't have the details of his conversion. But this young man, early in his life, started winning other enslaved individuals in Tennessee to Jesus Christ. He was an evangelist on fire for Christ in Tennessee. And a pastor, a Presbyterian pastor by the name of Reverend Gideon Blackburn, who met this young man who was in captivity, he saw his courage. He saw his zeal. And he said, God is going to do amazing things. Already is doing amazing things through your life. But God has a calling on your life. And he redeemed him. He paid the price to set him free. Not only did he pay the price to set him free, but he also paid the price to bring um, some formal education one of the first African ministers, African-American ministers, to get a formal ministerial education and training. And then he was sent into Philadelphia, that is right, to plant the very first African Presbyterian church. You can still go to see this building on 42nd and Gerard to this day. There is a placard with his name on it. What a hero of the faith. He went from Tennessee to Philadelphia, and we'll return to his story throughout the sermon today. But as I looked at his story in 1776, as we were celebrating freedom and liberation, here is a minister of the gospel who is bringing the gospel of freedom to many enslaved individuals, but also bringing freedom to all of the African diaspora here in our own country and planting a gospel-centered church right here in Philadelphia. Now, I'm thankful that slavery has been abolished in our land. And there is captivity not only in prisons like Paul, but there are many things that hold us captive in our own day and era as well. And so as we think of historical captivity, as we think of Paul's captivity in prison, I want to lay over it the theme of God's sovereignty. In the midst of life and captivity and the courage that Jesus wants to give us, regardless of whatever kind of captivity we are facing, Because as I study this text today, and we'll go through it verse by verse, it is really telling that Paul is now in bondage. Jesus tells him to take courage. You are going to make it to Rome. And very jarring that the very next verse, after we hear about the sovereignty of God to protect and preserve him, is that there is a plot to kill him. And it raises interesting questions about the sovereignty of God, the protection of God, the existence of evil in the world, even though that Jesus knows the future and where Paul is going. So I want to bring all of that to play in today's sermon as we think about the sovereignty of God in our own lives and the captivity that we all 
live within our own souls. So if you're taking notes today, take courage. Take courage. God is sovereign. Take courage. God is sovereign first through evil plots. God is sovereign through evil plots. Let's reread verse 12 all the way to verse 15. So Jesus stood before him. He told him to take courage. He's going to make it to Rome. Verse 12. So that was the night, right? Transition when it was day. The very next morning after he said, you're going to make it to Rome, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, that's the Sanhedrin, give notice to the tribune, that's the Romans again, to bring him down to you, as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Take courage. God is sovereign through evil plots. Wow. What a turn. The evening, Paul is there. Jesus says, you're going to make it to Rome. The next morning, a conspiracy is hatched to kill Paul. Now, he's going to find out about it a little bit later through his nephew, and we'll look at that in a moment. But consider this. Right after the moment that he has promised protection, be encouraged, Paul. You're going to make it to Rome, Paul. The very next sentence 40 individuals rise up and say, we will not eat, we will not drink. We have made a, a wicked vow, an evil vow, but a vow nonetheless that there will be no food and no water that touch these lips till that man is dead and it's going to happen through our own hands. So this is the plan they hatch because remember the Sanhedrin is that Jewish court. These are Jewish individuals. They're very angry against Paul. They say, just hatch a plan that you want to inter, you know, interrogate him one more time. When he is en route, we will ambush him. There will be no second trial because we will just kill him on the way there and Paul will be no more. This troublemaker in Israel, we will take care of him. And any repercussions, we don't care. I mean, if they lose their life, this would be like a September 11th bomber. They're okay with that, all right? They are ready to lay down their lives to take him out. What an interesting juxtaposition. Courage, conspiracy, side by side in your Bibles, right next to one another. You know, and if you think about it, what is courage? Courage is not, hey, take courage. Life is simple and easy and the wind's to my back all the times and I'm racing down a hill on the bike. You know, courage, you don't need courage, do you? When everything is simple and when everything is easy, I think Jesus shows up beforehand to speak into Paul's life and to speak up into our lives to say, buckle up. I am with you through the hardship that you are about to walk through, but you need courage. You need fortitude. You need boldness. You need to persevere. And if you came to Christ under some guise that Jesus makes your life a lot easier and everything's going to fall into place, you know, this is the blueprint for your life. And if you apply the Bible, things get really simple really fast. 
Yeah, yes and no. I mean, there's wisdom in here that will clean up your life and reorient your life. But there are also some spiritual powers at work in this world, evil powers, evil plots, evil schemes, and they are not happy with what God is doing in your life. I had a word from one of our mature members recently. I was talking to her about Manoah, and she said, I I sense that there's going to be an attack, Stefan, a spiritual attack, and I'm not prophesying this over us. I'm just saying, she says, because everything is going so well. And she's been at Manoah for a long time. And she said, the enemy does not like what is happening right now. And you need to have a theology that says that God is sovereign and evil plots can coexist. And there's mystery on how that all works. God is certainly not the author of evil. And he is working all things together for good. But that does not mean everything in your life that happens in your life will be good. The classic story of Joseph in the Old Testament. He has a dream, right, that his family will bow down before him one day. He doesn't know what that means, but he shares it with his brothers. And would you believe it? Ticks them off. (laughs) He's the youngest of them. And one day you'll bow and the stars will bow before me. Even his dad's offended, right? And his brothers hatch a plan and they sell him into slavery, right? Into Egypt. And there he is enslaved in Egypt and he works in Potiphar's household and does an amazing job, but then Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him of impropriety with her, and so now he's locked up in prison, and there he's forgotten, and he interprets the the baker's dream. You remember this in the cupbearer's dream, and then they forget about him years of his life, years of his life. Paul's in prison for the next five years. He's in, by the time we get out, he gets out of prison, We say he has to have a big shave, a big bath. I mean, his beard's grown out. He's probably looking at his life saying, my life is wasted. Whatever happened to those dreams that God gave me? All of these evil plots that were hatched against him, but those of you who know your Bibles in the book of Genesis, the very end, he interprets Pharaoh's dreams, raised up to a position of honor, famine in the land, he prepares for it, brothers come in, bow before him to get the grain, click, and they are shaking in their boots. He's, gonna, he's the second most powerful man in Egypt next to Pharaoh. But he forgives them. And this is a scripture you should memorize in your life. He said, what you intended for evil, what you intended for evil, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And I don't know how that all works, how God could foreordain that this would all play out. But you look backwards and you say, God is the author of all goodness. Humanity is the inventor of all evils. And God is still sovereign. And through Paul's imprisonment, that will be his very ticket to Rome. He would not get safely to Rome, but by these bars around him. Consider that. The mystery of God's goodness and providence in the face of human evil. You know, and I think once again of John Jack Gloucester. Not only was he then set free, but his whole family was still enslaved. Human evil against him. As he's winning people to Christ, he's still having to go back, raise support to release his own family. The uphill battle that he had to face. But this was a man that saw captivity, but Jesus gave him courage through it. And because of that, not only was he delivered, but he became an agent, just like Joseph, of deliverance for so many right here in our own backyard. 
in our own backyard. And God is not done using believers in the midst of great evil in our world. Turn on the news. Look at what's going on in Ukraine and Russia right now. I mean, so many things we can look at and say, look at all the evil. And if you're tempted to throw away God, you're tempted to throw away your faith, you're tempted to say, if God is so good, then why is all of this? I don't have pat answers for you. But I do know this. In the very end, God wins. In the very end, grace wins. In the very end, evil is vanquished. In the very end, it is cast into the lake of fire, and it is no more. And in the very end, Jesus triumphs over all. And do not throw Jesus Christ in the midst of the face of evil, because he's the only one who can give you courage in the midst of the captivity to face evil square on. To see evil for what it really is, but also to say its fangs have been removed through the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus vanquished evil on the cross, burying it in his body on the tree. God knows what it's like through the incarnation to stare evil down face eye to eye and destroy it. Join team Jesus. Give your life to him. Take courage. Take courage. God is sovereign through evil plots. Secondly, take courage. God is sovereign through heroic actions. God is sovereign through heroic actions. Verses 16 to 24. Now, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told Paul, Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, What is it that you have to tell me? And he said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them. For more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, Tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready, 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. Take courage. God is sovereign through heroic actions. We see an intervention here on Paul's behalf. And at face value, you look at it and you say, it's his nephew. His nephew has an interest in his uncle's well-being, though we don't even know if his nephew was a Christian or not. Maybe he came to Christ. We don't know. We don't know if Paul's sister, if she's like, yeah, my brother's killing it for Jesus. Killing is the wrong word. He's doing an awesome job for Jesus. Or she's like, oh, my brother's crazy. I don't know. We don't know anything about his sister or his nephew except because of this. 
Clearly, they live in Jerusalem, which is where Paul was raised when he got his education at the feet of Gamaliel. So he's got extended family in Jerusalem, and somehow this conspiracy, though they probably tried to keep it close to their chest, I don't think they were walking down the streets like, we have a conspiracy, everybody, we're going to get Paul out here, kill him. Somehow, somehow in the mystery of God's providence, the nephew finds out about it, Right? They're talking quietly, and somebody tells somebody to tell somebody to tell somebody that tells the nephew what's going to happen. Now, Paul is under captivity, but he is a Roman citizen. He has a lot of privileges. He can have visitors. So his nephew comes to visit him, tells his uncle what's about to happen. His uncle says, tell the centurion. The centurion says, go tell the boss about this. And so there's just this traveling all the way back to the tribune. In fact, Paul has, from his citizenship, he's probably got more privilege than the centurion himself. So it makes sense that he could give these orders and he follows through with it. When the tribune hears of this, he doesn't dismiss it. He doesn't say, you know, we'll take care of it. He jumps in on this and gives Paul the upper hand. He says, now we have the element of surprise. And so he gets 470 individuals. Do you see that there? 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, 200 spearmen. He's in charge of a cohort, which is about 1,000 soldiers. And 470, nearly half of his brigade, is now being commissioned at 9 p.m. That's the hour that it just said there. Around the evening, they say, they got wind of this. Don't tell anybody. He takes half of his soldiers. He says, you all, take this prisoner up to Caesarea. We are getting him out of, it, out of here. Because if you don't understand, Jerusalem is like the hotbed of, that's where the temple is. All of Judaism is based there. So anybody that doesn't like Paul is there. He's like, we got to get him out of this place. They are going to destroy him. And so 470 soldiers with spears and horses surrounds Paul and safely deliver him. Then about 400 of them turn back and 70 go the next day and bring them the rest of the way. Take courage. God is sovereign through heroic actions. You know, when Paul hears about this, I want to show you what he doesn't do because sometimes Christians, this is what we do. I don't need any horsemen. I don't need any spearmen. I don't need any soldiers. Jesus. Jesus stood in front of me at night and said, I'm going to make it to Rome. So I don't need your help, Rome. I'm good. I'm good. The Lord will protect me. He is my shield and my fortress. I don't need you all because I have God on my side, right? He doesn't say that. He says, go tell them about what's about to happen, that God is sovereign, yes, but he ordains deliverance through human means. He still works through real people. You know, many of you have heard the story. It's a funny one, not true, but it makes the point of the, uh, the preacher who died in the flood. Did you ever hear this story? There's a pastor in a church, and the dam's about to break, and water is coming and starting to rise up in the church, up all the way up to the foot of the steps. And so somebody comes in a rowboat and says, Pastor, Pastor, get in, get into the boat. I'm going to save you. He says, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. I've been praying, and the Lord will deliver me. Gets down on his knees, starts praying. So the guy rows away. Later, the water keeps rising, rising, rising to the second floor. So the pastor goes to the second floor. Somebody motors in on a boat. Brrr, pastor, pastor, jump in. The dam's about to break. You can get in. We'll save you. Get out of here. He says, I don't need to. I've already prayed to the Lord. He's assured me. He's assured me that I will not perish. I don't need your help. 
Say, all right, brrr, you know, goes away. Finally, the floodwaters go higher and higher, so much so that he's in the bell tower, the very top. And they say, Pastor, a helicopter comes in. They say, Pastor, just grab the rope. We're here to rescue you. He says, I don't need you. God has told me that I won't perish in this. I don't need you. Sure enough, the dam breaks. The pastor swept away, drowned, enters into glory and stands before God. He says, God, what happened? You told me that you would deliver me. God said, well, I sent two boats and a helicopter. You didn't get the message? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All my hyper-Calvinists are going like, that doesn't work because... <laughs> when he gets these soldiers, this was God. This was God working. When his nephew hears about it, this is God working through these means, God is sovereign, but he works through humans and human agencies. And may we have a doctrine of the sovereignty of God that is strong and firm. It should free you from the fear, fear of the future, but it should never produce fatalism or indifference. Indeed, the, the sovereignty of God should give you courage in the face of all the evil we already talked about to persevere. But it's never something of a let go and let God entirely sort of living in life. No. We go to the nations. We preach the gospel. We intervene on behalf of the weak. We are God's agents and God fills us and uses us. We are his hands and feet and we speak his words. 2 Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors for Christ. God makes his appeal through you, through us, for people to be reconciled to God. God moves and he moves through people. He moves through you. May God fill you and use you. Take courage. Take courage. God is sovereign not only through evil plots, but God is sovereign through heroic actions. William Caddo in his book referenced John Gloucester. I want to read this. It's a little lengthy, but it lets you into a picture of this amazing minister of the gospel and the uphill battle that he fought to plant this church. He says, with many, the doctrines of the Presbyterian church were, in a, excuse me, were in bad odor. They failed not to make capital of it. Others were careful for none of those things. So it can be perceived that it required a man of no ordinary nerve and large share of, great, of the grace of God in his heart to battle with and overcome these opposing forces. Reverend Gloucester was the man for the occasion and the time. Opposition could never deter him from duty. If God was for him, he cared not who was against him. In Christ lay all of his strength and hope of success. Naturally, he was of a strong mind as well as a stout athletic frame with a deep, excuse me, with a deep, the, excuse me, with a voice, the deep tones of which fell powerfully on the ear he preached the word. He was also a very sweet singer, and it said of him that such was the melody and rich tones of his voice that whenever he sang, a volume of music would roll from his mouth, charming and enchaining as by a spell, the listening audience and holding them in sweet suspense until he would cease to sing. When the spell would be broken and the people relieved, determined upon the first occasion to return and enjoy the labors of this devoted man, as he broke unto them the bread of life and sang again another of those songs of Zion, in prayer he was mighty, such was the fervor and energy, such his wrestling when engaged, that souls have fallen under its power, deeply convicted of sin." 
Reverend Gloucester was the man for the occasion and the time. Take courage. God works through heroic actions. And brothers and sisters, I have a charge for you as pastor. There is a world to win for Christ. There is evil to be vanquished. There is a world that needs Jesus. Are you a hero? Are you willing to rise up and step into the gap? Are you willing to be used by God? Because God will use you. He will fill you for such a time as this. Each one of us have a role to play in this. Each one of us, despite what we're facing in opposition, God can use you. Just like he used the Apostle Paul, William Cato, excuse me, John Gloucester, and many, many others. John Gloucester not only raised support for that building in Philadelphia that still stands to this day, he was able to raise successfully all the financial resources he needed to set his entire family free. He had five children. Four of them went into full-time ministry as Presbyterian ministers and planted churches all over this country. God turned his whole life around and the lives of countless others. Who knows if some of us, our spiritual grandchildren or great-grandchildren of his ministry through the impact of this great heroic action. Take courage. Yes, God is sovereign, but that does not negate your activity. That does not negate what God wants to do in you and through you. God is sovereign through heroic actions. Thirdly and finally, take courage. God is sovereign through imperfect leaders. Imperfect leaders. 25 to the end of the chapter. So he's traveling safely. We're going to Caesarea now. That's a port city, which is where he'll land. But when he sends Paul, he does not send him without some correspondence. And here's the letter that Claudius Lysias wrote. He wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. Desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. When it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. That's a, a region about halfway on the way. And on the next day, they returned to the barracks. So a bunch of them went back, letting the horsemen go with them. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he was asked what province he was from. When he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Take courage. God is sovereign through imperfect leaders. Now I want to look at two of these leaders under this third point here. First, we see the leader, Claudius Lysias, and then secondly, Felix. Claudius Lysias, who's been this character, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, he, we've gotten to watch Claudius uh, shine quite a bit, haven't we? Claudius has done some heroic things, including getting Paul out of Jerusalem. But I want to draw your attention first to the letter. Did you notice how I, 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 me, 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 how self-centered? It is a bit of a self-centered letter, puffing himself, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. Well, for those of you who have been following for a while, he left some details out of his letter. 
Namely, that he called Paul an Egyptian terrorist. Remember that? Hey, aren't you one of the, the Egyptian terrorists that tried to kill a bunch of people? So he already falsely accused Paul of that. He was about to, uh, through an enhanced interrogation, flog and whip Paul, who was an uncondemned Roman citizen. He, he had him laid out, just about to be shredded to pieces before one of his subordinates stopped him and said, whoa, 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 he's a, he's a Roman citizen. And if you read his letter, it's like, hey, I found this Roman citizen. I rescued this Roman citizen. I found about this. I brought him to you. Sort of true, but he kind of changed the narrative a little bit to make himself look a lot better than he was, right? And took out all the unseemly details that made him look, well, like an imperfect leader, right? Like a, like a sinful human being, like, like the rest of humanity, right? There's, there's just a bit of an I, 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 me, me, me narcissist in the letter if you read it, and all the details that are negative about himself are redacted to be forgotten by his commander. And he's passing them off to this individual Felix, right? And Felix in church history or in biblical history, just history, history, he's a shady character. Uh, he is ruthless. He's heartless. When with quelling Jewish uprisings, he would just kill and slaughter thousands of people. He was a freed slave himself. And it's said of him, Tacitus said this, uh, he, Felix, exercised the power of a king with the mind of a slave. He exercised the power of a king with the mind of a slave. He was never able to grow out of this servile mentality. In fact, if you look at verse 26, he's basically locked up for the next two years. And the reason why he's sitting there, two years have elapsed, what does it say? Felix would keep calling him, calling him. Verse 26, he hoped that money would be given to him by Paul. All right? So he's got this guy locked up under his custody, and he's hoping that Paul will bribe him or give him money. Each time he brings him, no money comes out, so he sends him back, and eventually uh, a different leader is put into place, and Felix goes into the backdrop. And you look at this, and I hope this actually brings some encouragement to you, brother or sister in Christ. Because God is sovereign over the world, right? He is sovereign over all the details of the world. And Paul is going to make it to Rome. But he's got leaders who are protecting him, who are about to flog him, who misunderstand him as a terrorist. He has leaders who want to get money out of him and exploit him. And yet this is still the way Paul is being protected, humanly speaking, to bring him to Rome. And all of us, all of us can look at our lives and say, if God is so good, why are the leaders in this world so corrupt, right? For example, in government, God appoints leaders, right? They're his agents, his servants, his ministers to do his will. And you look at government, and if you're a government official, thank you for your service. But I think you'd all agree, we got some issues, right, in government, all right? Regardless of whether you fall on the left or the right, American or other countries, you just look at it and you say, Man, there are a lot of imperfect people running the world. There's a lot of imperfection. And even, even, even in the church, it's true. We're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Ron's not perfect. Your elders aren't perfect. Your deacons aren't perfect. Sometimes we fight. Sometimes we don't get along, right? But God, God is so faithful. God is so glorious. God is so good that he works sometimes despite us. And God works through us. He works through imperfect people. Paul was an imperfect person for sure. 
I think he was a hard guy sometimes to get along with. You read his letters and he's, he's butting heads. But Paul, nonetheless, God used mightily in this world. Mightily in this world. Take courage. God is perfect. And somehow his perfect plan is worked out through imperfect people. Teens, you may already know this, but your mom and dad, they're not perfect. <laughs> but God gave them to you and you to them. And he's still sovereign over your family. You go to work and you got a boss that you can't stand, right? Take courage. God is with you in the midst of imperfect leadership. Maybe you're the imperfect leader. And you're saying, I cannot believe God has entrusted this to me. One of my prayers over and over and over, all the people who work with me in the church that know me well say, God is at the move in Manoa. My prayer, God, is don't let me screw this up, right? I don't want to screw up what God is doing because I know me. And I know I'm not perfect. May we all have a humble assessment of ourselves and all the leaders that God puts around us and say, God is on the move. God is on the move and God is on the move despite us at times. All glory be to God. There is no glory to these leaders for Paul's rescue. I can guarantee you that. He's on his way to Rome. He's shipwrecked, right? I mean, this is not a really well-hatched plan. But God is sovereign through all of the details of our lives, even the leaders that he places over, over your life so you can take courage. Amen? Take courage. God is sovereign through evil plots, heroic actions, and imperfect leaders. And I want to end, as I invite the band up to the stage for a final song of close, just to remind you of the gospel. Because in this picture of evil plots, heroic action, and imperfect leaders is a picture of the gospel itself, isn't it? The evil plot hatched against our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The conspiracy to take Jesus down. It was evil, but what man meant for evil, God meant for good. Amen? The cross is the display of the wickedness of the human race and also the display of the love and the mercy of God. There on the cross, Jesus died for all of the evil in the world. And God, though he be sovereign, was our hero as well. He was not just up in heaven looking down saying, I'll send prophets and apostles. I will send myself. He puts on flesh as the hero of heaven to come into this space, into this time that he is sovereign over to become the hero of the human race. And though the apostles in the gospels be bozos, right? They be imperfect, though Israel be sinful. God's plan is never thwarted, is it? Through imperfect leaders, through heroic actions, and through evil plots, God saved you. And God is saving the world. Do you take comfort in the sovereignty of God? Do you? God is sovereign. He is a heavenly father. Not a single sparrow falls to the ground apart from his will. Your hairs, they're numbered. He knows. He's a good, good father. And he works through all of the best of the world to bring about his good purposes in your life. Amen? Amen. Let's stand, church.
Jesus, we thank you that you are the hero of heaven, that you suffered unjustly so that we wouldn't have to face your justice, God, on that final day. We thank you that despite the evil plots of the human race and the devil himself, that God, you are still on your throne working all things together for good. God, we pray that we would take courage that we would be men and women of great boldness and courage despite the evil that we see. That we would never jump on the team of evil or on the bandwagon of evil, but we would oppose it with all that we have within us, with all that is redeemed inside of us. And Lord, we confess that we are imperfect people. Lord, we are not a perfect church, but we worship a perfect Savior. That is where our confidence lies. That is where our hope is. It's not in us. It's not in our church. It is in you, Lord Jesus. And so as we conclude the service of worship, we turn our songs of praise back to you where it belongs. All glory to you, the perfect God who works through imperfect vessels for your glory. Be exalted and be glorified, we ask, in Christ Jesus' name, in our lives, now and to eternity, we pray. Amen.